have a gift for everybody today, uh, or at least each family unit. Um, Warhorn Media published Abortion in the Church, which is a document, uh, a work of Evangel Presbytery that I've brought to your attention before, but we didn't have nice book-sized print copies. We had electronic copies that I brought to your attention. Now we have it printed, and I would recommend that you all read and pray through this book and think about the um, bloodshed that uh, defines our country and our land, really our world at this point. And so uh, abortion in the church, each family pick up one of these from me, big box up here full of them. There may be some left over after everybody gets one if you want to give one to a friend or a colleague or something like that. So um, but let's make sure today that we just get them out to the church. And if there are any left over, I'll bring them back next week. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's start at 16. We'll be focused on 19 to 21. So this is Galatians 5:16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the law. We thank you for the conviction that your law brings. And Lord, as we uh, think about the warfare between the spirit and the flesh, I pray that you would uh, give us your spirit so that we would understand, uh, that we would be able to self-examine and see where the flesh is encroaching on the spirit and that we would resist the flesh. And Father, we pray for the Sunday school classes that are going on downstairs with the young men and women, the children of the church. Lord, we pray that you would bless those meetings and that they would learn about your salvation. And Father, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, deeds of the flesh. That's the focus of the day, the deeds of the flesh. And so what does Scripture mean by the flesh? Is it the deeds of the meat of your body? Not so much. Um, deeds of the flesh. The flesh is basically the, the sinful nature. 
right? That, that natural sinful disposition that we are born with because we receive it from our father Adam, right? And so everybody is born with a sinful nature, sinful inclinations, a depravity that is built in because we are descended by ordinary generation from Adam. Unlike Jesus, who was not descended by ordinary generation, but by extraordinary generation, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he does not share that, that corruption, that fleshly corruption that we share with Adam. Um, freedom today is misunderstood, is it not? Freedom. Freedom today is understood as what? Autonomous freedom, autonomous unrestrictedness. No rules, right? No restrictions. I have the right to do what I want. That's like the ideal of freedom, you know? having that, that ideal to do what you want. But as you know, freedom does not um, thrive unless there's uh, laws, right? Think of, think of uh, getting rid of traffic laws. Would you have freedom to get wherever you want to get? No, you would not. Um, it would be much more dangerous, you know, certain places would get clogged up if the laws of the lights were not, you know, um, and the flow was not regulated and speed limits unrestricted would lead to all kinds of joy. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we, we need the law to, um, we need the law to protect true freedom, right? But, but often today, liberty, when you start talking about freedom or liberty, it's, it's really just another word for license. Uh, when, and when liberty becomes license, then slavery is the end result, bondage. Um, a drunkard is not free to do what he wants, but rather is a slave of his lack of self-control, right? His inability uh, to stop drinking. So he's, he's not free to do what he wants. No, he's, he's bound to that one specific thing to the point where he'll serve it and run over everything else in his life and give up on everything else in his life. And so in 5.13, you remember that Christ, or the Spirit, said, we are not to turn our liberty into an opportunity for the flesh. Our liberty is not an opportunity for the flesh. It's not an opportunity. Liberty is not reason to, to give in to all the sinful desires. Um, and then here in our passage... 19 through 21, we're given a look at the specifics of our uh, sinful inclinations, right? The specifics. Note 
this, and this is the most important thing in this text, is verse 21. What is the conclusion in verse 21? Here it mumbled a couple times. What is the result of practicing the sins that he lists here? You will not inherit the kingdom of God. So is the apostle, is the Holy Spirit messing around here? Giving suggestions and maybe things that you might consider a little bit. You know, if you get a moment today or tomorrow or next week. No. This is very serious. There's a warning in this text. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this passage and passages such as 1 Corinthians 6, which has a similar statement, are meant to do what? Shake us up because we get casual in our attitude towards sin, don't we? I mean, think, think through the past few months. There's probably times when, you, when you're pursuing holiness and other times when you're just trying to, like, not get caught. And then other times when you just have no sense that, that what you're doing is wrong. I mean, your, your conscience is seared and you're just going after it. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you remember this, says this, do not be deceived, right? The Corinthians were being deceived and thinking that fornicators and idolaters and adulterers would inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> and the, the Holy Spirit's like, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor homosexuals nor thieves nor the covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that should sober us up. And the reason it sobers us up is because all of us have committed these sins and still commit them now. As Christians, in many respects, not across the board, some are given to some sins, some are given to other sins, everybody's given to jealousy. I don't know anybody who isn't affected by jealousy or outbursts of anger, right? Um, envying, who's immune to envying? Raise your hand and we'll will make you the Pope. It's Reformation Day, so as many times as I can denounce the Pope today, I will be. Okay, I'm going to take every, every opportunity. Just as an homage to Luther. So... <laughs> But, but that, that's what I want to start with, our casual attitude towards sin. You know that, that you have a casual attitude towards sin at times. When, you're, when things are not going well, when your spiritual life is, is, on a, uh, is ebbing, then 
you know, sin just doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And so we take it casually and, and the only thing that would then distinguish us from a worldling would be the fact that we get up and go to church on Sunday mornings. Wouldn't be any sort of difference in living, difference in behavior, difference in lifestyle, difference in um, even the content of our faith. It would simply just be we, we locate ourselves in the pew of a church on Sunday mornings. And that ought not to be. We know better than that. So that's the warning here. All the sins that we're going to look at, if you practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that brings up the, the question of what does it mean to practice these things? Um, well, we'll get to that after we look at each of the sins. The deeds of the flesh, not the spirit. Remember, the next section is about the fruit of the spirit. And so, in, uh, like Jeremy and I pointed out in our last podcast, um, when you're fighting a particular sin, you have to put off and put on, right? You put off what is evil, you put on what is good. And so, in here, this put off, we get the deeds of the flesh, and then we get the fruit of the Spirit, that's the put on, right? That's the, that's the only way that you will be able to persevere in fighting against the deeds of the flesh, is if you put on the corresponding um, holiness, right? But we can't just put off and only put off. I'm going to kill the sin, kill the sin, kill the sin, and not fill the vacuum that's left with holiness, okay? So, the deeds of the flesh, not of the Spirit, they are contrary to the Spirit, are evident, he says. These things are obvious. Deeds of the flesh are obvious, right? And yet we do gymnastics to sort of give ourselves a, an excuse. Certainly on some of these, like outbursts of anger, I'm just being zealous, you know. It's godly zeal. I really care for my children. So I denounce them with my mouth 18 times a day, Right? So we have to be careful about that, but these are evidence, they are obvious. Are you of the flesh or of the spirit? It's a simple and easy contrast here. Are you a Christian or not a Christian? You will find that out by these few verses. So verse 19, the second half, he starts the list here of sins which, are, which if you practice them, disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. And these seem to be grouped together in groups. The first three there, immorality, impurity, sensuality, are sexual sins. Okay, Immorality, the first one that's translated there, seems like it's just like all immorality, but it's not. It, the word there is porneia. Okay? And that porneia is a word that condemns and, and describes all sexual conduct outside of marriage, whether perverse or less perverse, right? 
all sexual conduct outside of marriage. And so, um, fornication would fit in underneath porneia. Um, casual uh, sex, pornography, um, and all kinds of perversions that we could list, um, transgenderism, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on from there to impurity, a, uh, a cathar, uh, catharsia, a catharsia, which really is uncleanness. This includes not only uncleanness in deeds, but also in words, thoughts, and desires of the heart. Okay? So that just impure thoughts, that lustful thinking. Okay? And then sensuality, aselges, lewdness would be better here. Lewdness. Not just um, sensuality that you experience, but lewdness that you flaunt outwardly, right? I mean, th- this is, this is the, the pride movement, right? Um, lewdness, publicly throwing off the rules, parading your devices, your vices, and being brazenly unrestrained and hoping that everybody else goes along with you. Okay, so, so that we have here um, sexual conduct, we have the thought life that leads to lust, and then we have this lewdness and sort of public recruiting of sexual debauchery. If you practice those things, you are not, um, you are not a member of the kingdom of God, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So think of today, where we are today um, culturally, where we are today in the church, the, the sins that are most often confessed to elders and pastors are sexual sins, particularly for men, okay? Um, these sexual sins on this list are sins that are confessed by members of the church and they are warned that they will not inherit the kingdom of God if they practice them by the Holy Spirit. But think of where we are today. Culturally, the sexual sins of our age are not just completed with you know, fornication and adultery and immodesty and nakedness but go on to pornography and homosexuality and pedophilia and bestiality and transsexuality and transgenderism and a whole host of other things that I won't even mention here, which are mainstreaming right now in our culture. Okay, and so what glory, what glory that we can say, if you stop practicing those things, there's hope for you, right? 
if you stop practicing those things, and the only way you can do that is in the power of the Spirit by coming to Christ and believing Him, then there's hope for you in inheriting the kingdom of God. But if you continue to practice them, there is no hope for you. That's it. That's your God. That's the God you serve, and your God will do what it has in its power to save you, which is nothing. You know? You being a man dressing up like a woman is serving an idol, and it doesn't have the power to save you. It doesn't want to save you. That God does not want to save you. Verse 20, first part, goes into religious sins. The first, the two listed here are idolatry and then sorcery, sometimes translated witchcraft. So the first one, idolatry, is violations of the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, right? And don't make graven images and bow down to them. Um, do break either of those commandments, you're breaking this, you're committing this sin of idolatry. You're putting another God before the one true living God. You're, you're raising up a false image. You're raising up a false God, a counterfeit God. Again, that has no power because only one God has power. Okay? It has no power. And then sorcery, here is a very interesting word, um, and sorcery and witchcraft don't quite get to it, but I understand why they, why they translated it this way. The word is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia, which you can, all the words that derive from that you're thinking of now, right? So in this, sorcery is, is um, not just not just acting like a witch or a, a sorcerer, but taking mushrooms, um, using potions, um, using, uh, in this book, and I, I, there's, a, there's a portion of it on the word pharmakeia, which is one of the most useful parts of this book, about how pharmakeia... Um, these, these pharmacists would put together potions to cause abortions, right? So participating in abortion is pharmakeia, right? Taking abortifacient drugs is pharmakeia. It is the sin that is um, condemned here, okay? And the whole, you know, it's, there's, there's definitely a connection to the occult here and to demons. The whole New Age movement, you know, crystals and amulets and stuff fits into this pharmakeia um, situation. And it's basically using the use of created means to serve oneself. You use created means to serve yourself. Not to serve God, certainly, um, especially because it's occultic in, in many of its connections. And, um, and so that's, that's pharmakeia here. So wherever you see sorcery, and it's about five or six times in the New Testament, it's usually the word pharmakeia. Okay? 
um, sorcery or witchcraft. But do you see how that's a religious sin, right? Idolatry, pharmakeia. Idolatry is serving a false god. Pharmakeia is using creation to serve oneself as God. You know? And if you listen to anybody, like, I'll bring him up again, but Aaron Rodgers, who who loves mushrooms, who, you know, goes down to South America and does the ayahuasca and stuff. He personifies the ayahuasca as like a being. And, and that being has taught him how to love himself. Right? And he wouldn't have known how to love others if he hadn't known how to love himself. And we're like... Hang on, buddy. You're going, you're going down the, you're going in the outdoor, you know, or out the indoor, whatever. Um, no, no, no. Um, you know what? What God does is absolutely demolishes us and shows us our depravity. Shows us how awful and evil we are, and then we come to find out that He that God, being gracious, loves the awful, evil, miserable like us. And then by the Spirit, we're, we're able to love Him. And then, loving Him, we're able to love our neighbors, right? But He's, he's got this whole thing backward. But it, it's, He's going down, He's finding this, this DMT, it's dug up from the dirt, and it's you know, there are weird people that are probably chanting when he's taking it, doing some sort of occultic practice. And then he says he's like connecting his consciousness to the whole universe. Pharmakeia, sorcery. He will not inherit the kingdom of God if he goes on promoting his use of that. And he's a promoter. I don't know how you can be a promoter and not be in the, the category of practicing these things. Okay? He promotes it. And then we get into category three, relational sins. And this gets a little closer to home maybe. Not many of you have done mushrooms, though I'm sure some of you have. Um, you shouldn't. You will die. You will die spiritually for sure, but you may die physically if you go after things like that. You may lose your sanity. Even smoking marijuana, THC, your chances of getting psychosis are huge. You want to lose your mind and forsake God? because you've lost your mind, then go after those things. If you practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you'll feel it. So let us fight against those sensualities, right? All right, verses 20b to 21a, these relational sins, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Here's the question. How do you treat other people? 
How do you treat other people? There are certain people, when you get into their general vicinity, into their vortex, there's like this gravitational pull into conflict. There's some people that just will fight in every circumstance they're ever in. And it comes out because of their insecurities, it comes out because of their uh, phobias, it, become, it just comes out because they've been given to it for so long, they have no idea how to relate to anybody in love and patience and kindness, right? Those fruits of the Spirit, right? Do you know people that, that have a, a relational negative, a negative relational vortex, It's a gravitational pull. It's like once you know, once you get in orbit around it, you're going to crash down into the the center weight um, if you don't get your trajectory just right, which is leave. But how do you treat other people? Enmity is the opposite of love. It's hatred. Just hating people. Strife, being divisive, right? If somebody's for chocolate, you're for white chocolate, which isn't chocolate. Right? Just contrarian. If someone is, is singing the praises of the up direction, you'll be talking about down. You know, what, whatever it may be. Jealousy. Consider your jealousy. There's nothing so bad as when one of your friends succeeds, right? There's nothing that gets you more upset than when, a, when one of your friends succeeds. That's jealousy. You want what they want. Um... You want what they have. And then outbursts of anger, that's that, those quick-tempered outbursts, those intense flare-ups, like a situation comes up and you're just like, ah! instantly. Um, I know that doesn't plague any of us here, right? Especially with, with five-year-old children. I can't always bash on the teenagers. I got to bash on the five-year-olds too because they have their difficulties, you know. I don't want to, I want to be even-handed up here. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. True. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I know exactly. It's like we all act like we all act like uh, children. Outbursts of anger is that quick-tempered outburst. Disputes, selfish devotion to one's own interests. You can never be wrong. That's this one. Those sorts of disputes. 
you cannot be told something that contradicts the view you hold to. Ever. You can't be corrected, right? And you are just so devoted to your own interests that um, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is, to, is for someone to say, you know what, you're wrong, and then to prove it. But even if you did prove it, this sort of person is like, nope, doesn't matter, I don't care, you're wrong. Ninety-nine out of hundred people say that the wall is, you know, eggshell, off-white, and he says it's pure white, and he's going to stick to it. Dissensions and factions, those seem to be the same thing. Dissensions and factions, one of the commentaries I was reading made a distinction between um, dissensions being temporary divisions between people and factions being permanent divisions between people, right? Dissensions is divisiveness. Factions is, is heresies, like permanent built-in um, distinctions, permanent divisions. And then envying, It's covetousness put into action. Um, And envying usually goes along these lines. Um, It gets more proactive. It's not just like a sin of my, my own heart and dealing with it and seeing somebody who has something that I would like, but... It's actively, actively trying to intercede so that someone else will not have their good if you can help it. There's something you can do to not, for them not to have their good. So what kind of person do we tend to be? Do we, are we the kind of person that tends to be critical in spirit? Do you have a critical spirit? Do you ha- are you a grumbler? Are you a criticizer? Are you a cynic or sarcastic? Now the cynics and sar- cynic and those who are sarcastic get a pass because cynics and those who are sarcastic are funny. All all of our comedians are, you know, masters of sarcasm. And we just, we love it. It's hilarious. And so the cynical person, the sarcastic person just gets a pass. It's like, um, you know, every, every sitcom you've ever wa- watched has one cynic that just makes fun of all the stupidity of everybody else. And it's hilarious. It's the best part of the show, right? Maybe revealing my own orientation here. Um, But cynicism is awful. And being sarcastic really is just a critical spirit. It's unkind. It's unkindness that's usually covered up with um, a few chuckles. 
And then what kind of person do you tend to be? Are you contrarian? Are you contrarian? You, you simply just can't ever let anything go. You can't hear somebody make an argument and not be like, I heard on AM radio, I heard from some talking box that, no, no, you don't really understand what's going on in Israel. You hear what they're doing now? You're totally off on that. That's contrarian. Let people speak, even if they're wrong, even if you might think they're wrong. Let people have an opinion, you know. Let people. Let people speak and have an opinion and then just forget about what they said. <laughs> just move on. They probably didn't mean it was, you know, going to be earth-shattering, you know, for you. They just, they were just filling the blank space of the conversation. But it's, it's actually kindness to allow people to speak and not immediately attack them unless they're spouting, unless they're promoting sin or heresy. But most of the time, we're not talking about things like that, you know? We're talking about things we could not possibly know, like medicine in the human body, like peace relations in the Middle East. I mean, come on. None of us are experts. None of us have even done the due diligence to, like, read half an article on Fox News. And yet, here we pontificate, right? And no one can correct us. That becomes our tiny little 24-hour gospel. Those nuggets that we take away from foxnews.com. That becomes our gospel, and we begin preaching it to people. And when someone corrects us, it's just, hmm. Well, you, that's not what they're saying. Who's they? Brit Hume. Thanks. And then, are you envious? Oh, man. What do you envy? Is it looks? Is it intelligence? Is it opportunities? Is it money? Is it material? Are, are you envious of other people on those things? Another question to ask is this, to make this more corporate and less personal, is what effect do I have on my church in this regard, in these relational sins? What effect do I have on my church? Do I lack love? And so I'm just distant. Is there always unnecessary controversy surrounding me? Right? I like... I like to be the contrarian, we say. And so if, if Pastor Dion's going to teach on this topic, I'm ready with a few bullets. You know? We'll see how he handles them. That's, always, that's actually kind of fun most of the time. Not all of the time. Um, do others have to walk on eggshells around me? What a tragic thing when you make the whole world around you walk on eggshells. 
taking offense at everything that's said, giving your opinion when it's not asked for all the time, um, pointing out silly little flaws, getting angry about little things that shouldn't. And then, then suddenly you're this person that everybody is like, whole, is being very circumspect about everything they say around you because they know it has the potential to just... <laughs> do you, do others have to walk on eggshells around you? Or are you, are you an... Uh, are you factious? You like to stir others up to join your position. That can get really ugly in a church, right? That, that's when the, the associate pastor gets a group of people in the church and they begin attacking the senior pastor. How many times have we seen that played out? Um, that happens a lot in Baptist churches <laughs> and Presbyterian churches. It does. So, but that can, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen amongst the staff. That can just happen in factions in the church. And um, there's a strange lust for power that all of us have. Even in the church. You know, the society of the saints. The church. It it proves there is further sanctification that needs to go on. Um, let me draw in. Oh, look, it's almost time. Uh, verse 21 um, back there drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Sensuality, drunkenness, being a drunkard. And what is carousing? It's participating in orgies. It's, it's sexual sensuality and sin. It's, it's, um, and so these last two, drunkenness, orgies, sexual sin, and things like these, he says. Now, he's not giving us a comprehensive list of all the sins that we could possibly commit, all the sins that are in the law. He's not doing that, and that's not his intent. But there are things like drunkenness and carousing, this just givenness to sensuality, right? And so um, being a drunkard, um, I'm going to skip over that. Um, 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. Alcohol is not the problem. Drunkenness is the problem. Sin is drunkenness. Um, alcohol is not the sin. Uh, and so, um, and yet there's the, this combination of, of drunkenness with carousing and things like these, the sensuality. One of the more troubling aspects of this in more recent years for me is when reformed guys boast about drinking and they do conferences and they serve beer and whiskey and hard liquor you know this is just this is almost across the board now with conservative reformed types and conferences this flaunting of their freedom and disregarding of the weaker brother 
right? And we remember what the Apostle Paul says. He says that, that look, you know, if, if my eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Meat! Some of us would happily give up beer in comparison to meat. But Paul would even go to meat. Right? And so he would give it up so that his brother's conscience wasn't defiled. That's love. That's great. But there's so much flaunting of freedom today. And undoubtedly that has led to abuses and drunkenness, which they would define as being merry of heart. Right? But it's led to drunkenness, and drunkenness always leads to further sin. Drunkenness leads to a loss of self-control. You lose your head. Okay? And drunkenness, practiced drunkenness, of any kind of intoxicant, you know, whether it's, you know, liquid or plant, drunkenness leads to poverty. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Um, and then again, he, so those are the sins that he lays out here, not meant to be comprehensive. Verse 21b, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, this is his second time warning them, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a very serious matter. And the word practice is important. This is habitual continuation as opposed to an isolated lapse into one of these sins. King David had an isolated lapse into murder and adultery. But he did not practice that sin. He was convicted. He repented, right? And so that word practice here, practice will show you what you are, what you serve, what you are given to, right? That habitual continuation of something. And so that's, that's the key here. That's the point that Luther makes in his commentary on Galatians. It's a point that Calvin makes on his commentary on Galatians, that there's a difference between habitual continuation and sort of the, the, the uh, increasingly searing, seared conscience, and a temporary lapse into these sins. We commit these sins that are listed here. And uh, repentance is the difference between those two sides, right? But if you practice something, that is what you are in bondage to is what you worship. So, that's the lesson today. And the first thing to do is if you think, if you're contemplating, if you're going through and examining yourself and like, man, I practice that sin, I practice that sin, the first thing to do is confess it to somebody you'd be embarrassed to confess it in front of your pastor, your elders. Confess it and let's get to work. Let's get to work stopping that habitual continuation of that sin. Let's get to work. Have hope in Christ. The Spirit is more powerful than the devil, and the Spirit is more powerful than you in your flesh.
okay? And what glorious freedom there would be to walk then in holiness, bound by the law, with a good conscience, serving Christ and not serving the old man and the flesh, right? So if you, if you are caught up in the practice of something, uh, get serious. Get serious. It's time to do something about it. Get serious about it, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Pray as we do self-examination that you would reveal to us these habitual sins and that we would have strength by your Spirit to oppose them and that the Spirit would oppose our flesh. And I pray that we would all look to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and newness of life in him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.